everybody, before we get started today, <laughs> we have some things we need to explain to you the future. The future. Ah, the, the thing we've all been waiting to have explained to us. Isn't that true? Um, mm-hmm. So we are headed into a mailbag episode. Last week, we had um, a really fun interview with Claire Kramer. Uh, and the week before that, we did Crush. So that means that we are up to um, season five, episode 15, I Was Made to Love You. Uh, and we wanted to let you know the schedule moving forward because we're actually going to have episodes every week for four weeks. Um, next week, I Was Made to Love You. Um, April 29th, we're going to have uh, season five, episode 16, The Body. Uh, the following week, we're going to have a special episode. Um, we're doing a double episode, um, and you, some of you know why, some of you don't, uh, and we're going to get to that in just a second. And then the following week, right after that special episode, May 13th, we will be doing Forever, which is season five, episode 17. So we know that a lot of you are familiar with the series uh, already, but that some of you are watching along with us for the first time. So we want to be both as careful as we can be with our no spoiler policy, but we also want to be careful with your hearts and your minds as we approach these coming episodes. Um, What we're going to say for now is that once we get into next week's episode, I was made to love you, the arc that starts there and runs very deeply, very poignantly through forever will be very focused on loss and grief. Uh, It's a hard time for a lot of us right now. And those themes as they have in the past, will probably help us come together in really powerful ways, but it might also not be a time in your life where you want to go on that journey. So you do what feels best for you. And if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, you can always send them our way at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. I will be, I promise you, I will be paying special attention to the email inbox over the next few weeks. Also want to remind you that coming up Gosh, very soon. Wow, so soon. Mm -hmm. This very Saturday. Holy smokes. Uh, We will be doing a live watch, open to all, a group watch of Buffy's season three, episode 20, The Prom, together. That's 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, this Saturday, April 18th on Instagram Live. And then next month, Saturday, May 16th, At 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, we'll be watching Buffy's Season 3, Episode 21 and 22, Graduation Day, Parts 1 and 2 together. Yes, that's right. Yes. So as you've probably already heard in our other episodes, we are watching prom next Saturday because it is when our prom was supposed to be and also right around the time when a lot of you uh, may have been heading to your proms that are not happening now. Uh, And then, of course, graduation for so many of you who are going to celebrate graduations who are now not able to do that. So this is our little Buffy way of doing that together. Um, And thank you to the listener who wrote in with the suggestion on graduation day. Uh, It's very, very exciting. And Jenny, I think you're hard at work on a graduation cap for your dog, Frank. Is that right? Yep. So, yep. Just <laughs> chipping away. Uh, chipping right away at that. Okay. Good. That you have till May sixteenth. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you hear? Can you hear my sewing, sewing machine? Um, also in the land of Patreon, um, we are rocking and rolling over there. And so many thanks to those of you who have joined us as new patrons. Um, I know that, uh, you are all minded to support your community at all turns. And that also means supporting us and our work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have a new podcast that is only on Patreon. It is called feels like the first time. And it is a podcast where Joanna Robinson and I watch movies together that I have never seen before. We've done Lord of the rings we did indiana jones and we are just rounding the bend through uh three of the alien movies which i am 
I, they are my favorite so far out of all the things yeah, that we've watched. Rocks. Oh my God. So good. So um, if you want to join us, you can do that. Uh, Patreon.com slash buffering cast. And it's also available to all of the patrons at Joanna's Patreon over at patreon.com slash storm of spoilers. I predict what I think will happen in the first installment uh, of each uh, franchise. And then we come back together again and talk about it. It's been, <laughs> it's been really fun. Like truly, truly fun. Um, also, Jenny, you and I are doing something for our $10 patrons, uh, special episodes called rewatch. I'm sorry. What is rewatch. it called? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, we did a rewatch of season three, episode 14, bad girls. Of course. Why wouldn't we begin there? And um, we will be doing another one uh, with graduation days parts one and two we'll be doing a rewatch episode for our patrons uh probably timing out with that watch that jenny just talked about so that's fun jenny one more thing before this mailbag i have to say is it is like truly i think you're all gonna have a great time jenny and i had so much is this fun. the best mailbag ever i think yeah, it might be I, like it truly might be um and before we get into the mailbag i'm going to give you um the final installment of an ongoing spooky news segment <gasps> Yes, you will finally and learn. And now the thrilling conclusion. To the death of old man Seaver. just tuning in this is a story i wrote a horror story i wrote when i was 11 years old um unearthed it and decided why not share it here with all of you so um we are going to finish the story today and jenny i don't know if you remember where we left off but um the girls in the story probably also about age 11 i would assume are um gathering outside of the home of the narrator where there is a haunting they are um, planned out on the right day the right time to see if they can investigate and figure out what is going on in this haunted house. Are you ready? Oh my God, I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Keisha and Tanya arrived at my house at around six and Heather arrived at 7.30 because she had dance. Marissa and Leah arrived at my house at nine and at 10.30 they were outside and they set up the tent. By 11, we were all ready. We had a flashlight for every person, a camera, a tape recorder, and even a pocket knife for security. At 11.30 p.m., we brought all of our equipment <laughs> upstairs and sat down to wait. Do you really think anything is going to happen, Keisha asked, to no one in particular. I guess we won't find out until midnight, but to tell you the truth, I strongly doubt it, I replied. Well, I am 99.9% .9 sure that we're going to hear something, if not see anything, Tanya said. Do you really think so, asked Heather, who was obviously not convinced. Absolutely, confirmed Tanya. I looked at the clock. Oh my God, you guys, it's 11.58 p.m. We better start getting ready, I said, my voice shaking uncontrollably. Yeah, 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 we better, Keisha replied. <laughs> we, <laughs> we put our things in our backpacks. Keisha with the camera, Tanya with the tape recorder, Heather with all of our flashlights, and I with the pocket knife that was borrowed from my brother, of course. <laughs> This is taking on a really strong twas the night before Christmas vibe all of a sudden. <laughs> also carrying a mini digital clock so we could keep track of the time. It, guess, it was already 11.58, but with those two minutes, <laughs> she's got them on her digital clock. Okay. As the stairs creaked under our feet, I heard the 12 bongs start coming from our old grandfather clock. Bong. This is it. Bong. Bong. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. We all screamed at once. D do you think that was just Leah and Marissa fooling us? Tanya asked. 
but we knew it wasn't Leah or Marissa, or for that matter, anyone that was living now. After that scream, no others were heard, and we started to go downstairs. But just as we turned around, kill, kill, kill the man who took oh my, my life away. Merrily, no. merrily, 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 take their lives today, an innocent little girl's voice sang. As she sang the merrily's 16 dead bodies fell down the stairs, knocking Tanya, Keisha, and Heather down with them to complete the new 19 bodies lying dead on the floor. Only one was spared, and you know who I am, for I am writing this story. I was spared, for I held on to the railing, but I still carry the harsh memories of that horrible summer night. Oh, and that face that was peeking out from behind the bushes, why, that was my father's face. He, too, had heard the screams and had come to see what was going on. One of the bodies knocked him to the floor and left a tremendous gash across his face. I hope you enjoyed my story. And just remember me, Maria Smith, for that small girl is still after the 20th body, which, of course, is me. Ah, you ask, why is she killing people of whom she does not know? The answer is, of course, that the world will never know the end. What? <laughs> Wait, so your three friends, I'm sorry, the narrators, three friends yes. were killed under the weight of 16 falling dead bodies? That's right. That's right. There's a lot of math in this horror story. Um, and so 20, the, the rule was 20 dead bodies. 16 dead bodies fell from the ceiling or whatever. They killed three of her friends, making 19 but Maria Smith, our narrator, was spared here to tell the tale. Um, and that is the end of The Death of Old Man Seaver. Thank you so much for joining wow. with me. And um, Jenny, I'm going to stitch together all of the components uh, into one. <laughs> Please do. So you can find the whole thing in case you missed it or you just want to hear it again before you go to sleep at night over on our mm -hmm. Patreon. It's available for everybody. You're welcome. My fucking God. <laughs> Okay, um, Jenny, are you ready to get into this MFing mailbag? I've never been more ready. Let's fucking do this shit and see if we can, you know, do it without incurring the wrath of any yeah. restless spirits that might try to kill us under the weight of dead bodies. in a mailbag episode it can't be denied no it one can cannot. say that we're not making a mailbag episode right freaking now i mean they could say it jenny but they would be lying because i'm sitting be here i have a bag of mail in my hand metaphorically <laughs> and um i'm very excited this is you know we do uh, most of our mailbag episodes over on our patreon and um occasionally we do a special one over here in the main feed so it's not a common experience and so i'm excited uh, i'm excited i am also excited and i have to say if you don't know this about yourselves already you are really fucking good at writing emails like maybe the best community ever at writing emails they are 
I mean, it's just a, a glory to behold. Um, and so we've selected some, uh, or I should say I've selected some, uh, if you might not know this because, um, you're not, if you're not a patron supporter, but I am the one that reads the emails, me, Kristen, Nolene Russo. Um, well, cause you're so brave and you're so good at reading. Well, thank you so much. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so I put the emails in, um, a document for us to read. And so I'm reading them. I've read them all. I've, I've curated them, et cetera. But what's really fun is that all, uh, all of these emails Jenny is reading for the first time, uh, which, yes. is, which is exciting and uh, adds an element of uh, surprise and excitement, intrigue. Hmm. So Jenny, um, I've given you the first email because I know that you love talking about uh, fish reproduction. Fish reproduction, mm -hmm. sure, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah, so um, let's see. What can we learn today? Molly writes... So I was catching up and heard you guys talking about fish reproduction during Go Fish back in season two. Aww. Let me just say that fish reproduction is so wild. I'm studying to be a marine scientist. My That was actually my one of my early career ambitions. I think uh, it was <clears> every <throat> child's early career ambition, just to be fair. Mm. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, no, I'm special. Okay, Nobody yes, else wanted yeah, course, to be a marine biologist, an astronaut, mm. or an archaeologist, <laughs> or a veterinarian. Okay, so Molly continues. So I get to, like, look at this nonsense on a regular basis. In general, the ocean has some pretty crazy stuff. Everything from mates for life to females eating males to male pregnancy to lifetime hermaphrodites. But fish reproduction is insane. Here are the basics. In general, there are three methods of reproduction. Ovaporous, that's egg laying. Vivaporous, <laughs> live birth like us. Mostly sharks do this. And Good luck, this Jenny. rocks. This is, no, 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 no. You know how to say Ovoviver it. <laughs> it's, uh, I believe it's ovoviviv. Oh, no. I felt so <laughs> confident, but then you uh, yanked the rug right out from under me. I'm so sorry. Ovoviviparous. <laughs> Ovoviviparous? Ovoviviparous. Nice. Reproduction. It's like a combo. The... Gals will raise eggs within their body until hatching and give birth. Mm -hmm. Can I just interject please, with one thing? Please. Um, there is, oh boy, I am going to say a book by Peter Benchley uh, who wrote Jaws, I think. Okay. Um, is this right? He definitely wrote The Beast, which is like a book about like a giant squid or an evil octopus or something. Yeah. And he also wrote Jaws. He wrote like like horror um ocean horror horror novels about yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and okay okay i'm looking at his wikipedia i think it was white shark that i read which starts inside the womb <laughs> or like ovo chamber of a shark who does the ovoviviparous ovo deal and it like starts with this shark that's like it has like been in an egg in the womb and then it hatches and then it eats all its other Oh, litter mates. Uh, and that's Jenny, how you know it's going to fucking shred. Um, and not to spoil the email, but that will come up specifically later on. In oh, my email. God. So Amazing. you're doing great. You're doing great. Also, okay. I cannot believe that you called something an ovo chamber. Is that a real word? Or did you make it? Up? I don't know. It is now. I love okay. it. <laughs> I'm going to refer to my uterus from now on as an ovo chamber. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's also I'm like so self-conscious that it should be ovo. I am unclear. Okay. Um, okay. Molly continues, in spite of my ongoing interruptions, <laughs> some of my favorite fish fucking fun facts. Fish fucking fun facts. What a great Can't wait. alliteration. Alliteration? Okay. So 
21 of the around 500 known fish families are hermaphrodites. Wrasses, the fish you are most likely to see if you ever snorkel or scuba on the Great Barrier Reef, are famous for this. They'll start out female and later become male. Hamlet fish, one of my favorites, are simultaneous hermaphrodites. They possess both male and female reproductive parts at the same time. Rabbit fish exhibit a lifetime pairing behavior once thought to be a reproductive strategy, but it turns out 25% of the pairs were same sex. The ocean is even gayer than we are. <laughs> True. In I mean, I don't fish. know. I'd like to challenge the ocean personally, but... <laughs> In anglerfish, the male angler is essentially a glorified pair of testicles and will locate a female, <laughs> bite and latch onto her, then become a sperm-producing parasite. Men, am I right? <laughs> uh, essentially a ball sack hanging on her body. Fucking wild. Sand tiger sharks reproduce ovovivaporously. There you go. But before they give birth to their babies, the babies will actually eat their own siblings in the womb before being born. There you go. <gasps> Peter Benchley time-traveled from 1994, read this email, went back, and was like, get a load of this, you fucks. Okay. <laughs> but my most favorite form of reproduction, <laughs> nice, is a method called Partho oh, parthenogenesis. Yes, we actually talked about reproduction. this in the spooky news segment, parthenogenesis. Right, 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 right. Yeah. This behavior is exhibited within hammerhead sharks. <laughs> oh, my God. What happens is that the female Only produces non-fertilized eggs. you would, like, eggs. giggle like a teenage boy at hammerhead sharks when you just said ball sack two, two seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> With no reaction. Mm. Um, cool. <laughs> Uh, what happens is the female produces non-fertilized eggs that are clones of herself, which hatch into babies. The population is entirely female. In times of stress, the female sharks will produce haploid eggs containing half the genes that then hatch into males, which then sexually reproduce <laughs> with the females to mix up the gene pool. Then they die, and the females go back to cloning. Males literally exist to shake up the genes, and that is it. My favorite part about this is that the females will actually sometimes sexually stimulate each other when they produce eggs. Hammerhead sharks are lesbians. So basically, anytime anyone says being trans, queer, gay is unnatural, I tell them to go take a look in the ocean because nature is anything but, and it's fucking literally fantastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to be just telling everyone to go take a look in the ocean yeah, every time they challenge me on anything. In the my ocean. One the fish rainbow oh god okay 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 oh my god <laughs> um my takeaway here though or like my follow-up question is it was i was under the impression we were still sort of like duking it out over whether sharks are uh, considered fish or not mm, because ooh. they're and now got the whole like cartilaginous thing going on and whatnot. If if you had doubted up until this point in the mailbag, if Jenny was a true certified nerd, you now know. How dare you? Well, How dare no, you? And I mean, in the what, nerd is a mm, term of doesn't positive. sound like you mean it in the best way. I, I genuinely did. I just think it's phenomenal that you read this entire email and that your first takeaway was, "Excuse me, Molly, but is a shark a fish?" <laughs> I um love 
this email. Thank you so much, Molly. First, this is my favorite email. Yeah, I thought you'd like the it. day so far. I thought I'd start us in a, a very gay, uh, amphibious place. Seemed appropriate. Um, do you think that? So the the email was inspired by Go Fish, which of course is where mm-hmm. the um, fish, I guess, debatable on if they're fish too, but um, are swimming, you know, and eating people in the high school. Do you think that they have, do you think that they are like one of these kinds of reproductive fish? Or do you think that they're lesbians is what I mean to say? Do you think that when the men turn into fish, they turn into lesbians? Oh, I mean, if they're lucky. (laughs) Okay. On to the next email. Uh, This one is coming in from Abby. A little information for us all. Also from uh, so, so long ago. But I love this because people are, you know, live listening with us. But a lot of people are finding us for the first time. So Abby wrote in, "Um, Hi, I just started listening to your podcast. I'm playing catch up. So I'm way back in season one. But I have an answer for a question you asked in the puppet show. Willow and Giles go to do research in the library. And Willow says... I'll be in demons. Of course you will, Willow. And Giles says, I'll be in organ harvesting. Of course you will, Giles. And you asked what the Dewey Decimal number would even be for those Hell topics. yes. I love this email. As a librarian, I actually know this one. So yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> demons is a little easier. It falls under religion in the 200s, specifically 235.47. 235.47. Find all your demon needs. Uh, Library of Congress is BF uh, 1501-1562. Organ harvesting is harder because there's not really a lot of books on that. There are, however, a number of books on organ transplants. So medical ethics of organ transplants, which include the black market slash selling organs, is 174 point something something. Library of Congress for medical ethics is R726. I just thought it was cool that I knew the answer. So I thought I would share. Thank you. Hell yeah. So much, Abby. Love that we now have the Dewey Decimal System for these two sections of very important books. (laughs) Hell yes. Uh, That rocks. Okay. Mm. What's next, you ask? I'll tell you. An email from Ashley who says, I saw this post on Twitter and want to hear your extended thoughts on this topic if you so choose to share them. (laughs) It is a screenshot of a uh, Whedon-esque tweet uh, that says, just wondering what would happen if Faith met Harley Quinn. Mm. Uh, And then the the top replies are tequila. (laughs) And then someone else said, and then sex, which seems... Right. Okay. Um, then uh, Ashley continues, I completely agree with the first set of comments shown in the screenshot, but also I think they would 200% pair together and leave a trail of chaos and destruction behind without ever looking back. I can almost visualize the maniacal smiles they would give each other. I had never paired them on my own before, but Harley is a cute little blonde badass for Faith. And she uh, and she a dark and mysterious counterpart for Harley. My mind raced with queer excitement at the thought. And please, someone write this fanfic. Okay. So I'm pretty sure this fanfic must already exist, right? Well, I don't know. But I so I want to just say for the record that I leave this to you, Jenny, because I am not yet familiar with Harley Quinn, though I will be very soon. Okay, so my most of my Harley Quinn um, familiarity actually comes from Batman, the animated series. Mm. (laughs) Um. But I have seen trailers for Birds of Prey and I feel like I get it. I think um, based on what I know and based on what I've seen and based on what I think, I feel like this is a, a 
a pairing that would be like really, really fun, but it would like and it would burn like really, burn really hot. Out. Yeah. Briefly. And then, yes, like a meteor uh, flying through space. Mm-hmm. It would uh, just get so hot that it would, you know, combust and destroy itself and, yeah. and everything within. Yeah. I'll, I'll give a more updated report once I watch um, Birds of Prey. But, but based on what I know of the character of Harley Quinn and what I absolutely know of Faith, I agree with that assessment. I mean, I think the reason why Buffy and Faith are such a good pairing is that they offset each other in ways, right? Like they're not just going to yeah. do shots of tequila and have sex, right? They're going to sort of like balance each other out. And Buffy's going to be like wearing her church outfit to the motel sometimes. So they, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not going to they're not going to burn out quite as fast. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Buffy does stab Faith in the stomach and send her into a coma. So it got complicated. But if it hadn't, um, I think they would have lasted a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so the next email is from Corey, who says, hi, Jenny and Kristen. First of all, I love your podcast. Thank you, Corey. Ah. Uh, I've been listening since it started and I'm a proud patron. Thank you again, Corey. Uh, Corey has two requests. One. Please write a Xander jingle. He's been a central character since season one, episode one, and many characters added much later, like Spike, Anya, Drusilla, while all highly deserving, have their own jingle. But our beloved Xander does not. So I'm going to stop before I get to the second bit and say, Jenny, we, I, I talked to you about this, and I think that you're, I think that you're on board to write a Xander jingle. Yeah. Um, I'm we writing were, it on my to-do list right now. And it was, you know, it was very intentional that we didn't write a Xander jingle in the beginning because, you see, if we had, it would have been a real bummer. Uh, but I think that Xander has shown yeah. us some serious growth. We are into season five. And now Xander will get a jingle that I think will be more representative of the full Xander, um, whereas other characters didn't have as much to lose in the beginning getting an early jingle. I think Xander did. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it's time, and I feel up to the challenge. Amazing. Okay, uh, Corey continues. Secondly, while I really enjoy the Sexual Tension Awards and your sexy readings and do practically every scene... I've noticed whoa, a, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I've noticed a bit of a pattern concerning interactions between men, which is that sometimes the impact of the said interaction gets lost in the shipping of the two characters in question. It kind of happened in Into the Woods with Riley and Spike, and it happened in the previous episode with Xander and Riley. Sometimes I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer really produces great moments between men. And while I always welcome shipping the dudes, ship, ship away. I just want to make a plea that the nature of the interaction portrayed on screen, the real nature, not the subtext, gets its due. Thank you for all you do. I love you both. And I love your work. Uh, I love this email, Corey. And I I wrote Corey back, actually, also, just because I was like, this is such a good point. And like, you know, I I do, of course, I think, you know, Jenny and I will never stop shipping most of the dudes on the show together. But (laughs) um, but I do think that like when we do that, we can also just take a pause uh, and talk about some of the really important um, male relationships on the show, which are done really powerfully and beautifully. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Corey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's an uh, email from Emily from Canberra, Australia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Emily writes, maybe Willow doesn't want to bring Amy back because that would mean she would have to tell her that the Scoobies killed her mom when they blew up Sunnydale High in graduation part two. She was trapped in the trophy in the cabinet. What if the fire, what if the explosion, wait, I'll save my theory for the end. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on this theory. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
What if um, the explosion actually released. released her spirit because she was all like trapped in that trophy, but like with all that heat, you know, the the binding gold. Is that trophy made of gold? No. The binding, whatever. <laughs> the binding like, properties of plastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, melt away, thus releasing the uh, mm-hmm. evil witch contained within. I actually would, I would think that that is more the case um, than not. And so, based on this theory, I, I would say no, I, I don't agree with the theory from Emily that uh, Willow is intentionally not bringing Amy back because they don't want to tell her about her mom. Um, I though have a new theory, which is not bunnies. It is that the, the witch is released, as you say, Jenny, um, in sort of like, uh, misty form, you know, um, a mist of a witch as you, if you will. And that every time that Willow tries to bring Amy back, which she says she keeps doing, that the witch energy is preventing her from doing it because Amy's mom was such a jerk. She didn't, she didn't want Amy to succeed at anything. Mm. So what if it's the energy of Amy's mom that's been keeping her contained in that rat casing for so long? Oh my God. That's (laughs) rat casing. (laughs) Listen, I just, Uh, I just watched uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade last night. And there's like a serious, rat scene in the beginning of that movie so they're really like very visually present for me okay okay the next email is from elizabeth who writes in and says hi Kristen and jenny i wanted to preface this email by saying i'm a huge fan and a longtime listener and i absolutely love your podcast i hope the tone of the rest of the email doesn't make you doubt that i just have very intense feelings and thoughts about the end of buffy and riley's relationship just when you thought you were done, Jenny. <laughs> While God, <laughs> it will come. It will come back to us forever, just like Xander. While you uh-huh. both, as always, gave excellent commentary on the episode Into the Woods, I think you missed an important piece. And I want to. This is now Kristen. I'm. I picked this email because I um, will say in advance that I agree with Elizabeth, and I, I, that's why I'm including this email because I do think this is an important piece. You both mentioned in this and other episodes that you think Buffy and Riley are incompatible, and that neither could give the other what they needed in a relationship. I don't disagree with you, but I think Buffy was never even given the chance to try. Riley never communicated his needs or their unfulfilled state to Buffy, at least not in clear, direct terms. He hinted at them a few times in pretty passive-aggressive ways. Buffy clearly had a heap of very stressful things on her mind, her mother's health, taking care of both her mother and her sister, attending college on top of those things, never mind being the slayer. This isn't an excuse to neglect your partner, obviously, but even someone who didn't have all those pressing concerns can't know something is wrong unless their partner tells them. In almost every scene where they're together, Riley acts as if nothing's wrong in front of Buffy. It's only out of her company that we see him suffering. So how is Buffy supposed to know that his needs aren't being met in the relationship? This falls into a trope I have particular beef with in media, the portrayal that people in relationships don't need to talk, and if you are truly, quote, meant for each other, you should be able to telepathically, I guess, know what the other person needs. Riley could have at any point sat down with Buffy and told her what his needs were in the relationship and that he wasn't feeling fulfilled. Of course, that would have been hard, both because of the vulnerability required and because it's hard to make Buffy sit still long enough to listen. It might not have fixed anything. Buffy might not have been able to meet those needs even then, but at least she would have known there was something to work on in the relationship. As it stands, Riley dumped weeks or months of pent-up feelings on her in a 10-minute conversation and gave her an ultimatum. While he did make some good, introspective points in that conversation, as y'all noted, this is the first time he'd ever mentioned the vast majority of it to Buffy. 
She doesn't even have time to process any of it because Xander immediately jumps down her throat for not instinctively knowing something was wrong with her relationship with Riley. This is honestly the main reason why I dislike Riley. He put the burden of his needs on Buffy without ever clearly communicating them and then abandoned her when she couldn't meet his ultimatum deadline. Throughout this entire season of their relationship, Buffy is punished for not being a mind reader and knowing what's wrong with Riley via some instinctive hoodoo. (laughs) Riley also suffers from not having his needs met, but instead of trying to communicate, he lashes out and seeks unhealthy coping mechanisms. Maybe they wouldn't have worked out in the long run anyway, but Buffy was never really given a fair chance to try. So, um, I, yeah. So what do you think about this, Jenny? I mean, I've, I've obviously, um, said at the top that I like really agree with some of this and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but you're hearing this for the first time. And so I'm curious, uh, as to your thoughts. Oh yeah. I mean, I think this is totally, there's a lot in here that, um, rings very true for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like the whole, the like true tragedy I think about the ending of their relationship is that. Riley doesn't directly communicate what is lacking until a sort of like breaking point. Mm-hmm. And then Buffy kind of like, I mean, the the true tragedy is that Buffy like takes a minute to metabolize it, but like ultimately, you know, her decision in the moment is that like, oh fuck, mm-hmm. I can't lose this this is not something i can't i can lose without a fight at least right, and like right. unfortunately just doesn't make get it in there time. in time yeah yeah right which is as as you're saying as the writer of this email is saying like which is it's just not a lot of time i mean the fact that she even made it yeah. there as quickly as she did is um pretty well, remarkable she's very fast <laughs> she is she is very fast she does run very quickly but um yeah and i think like you know this show i i, I mean i don't regret any of our conversations um or like delving into the characters the way that we have but what is so unbelievable about this show and any show that is you know, has incredibly deep and nuanced characters and really wonderful writing is that there's so many things that you can uncover as you dig and dig and dig. And I do feel like, you know, we had such um, a battle, uh, you know, for and against Riley, uh, most of it couched in like humor, some of it really digging into the these deeper things. But it, it was so we were really going back and forth the whole time that these two were together that, um, you know, I do think that we kind of missed digging into this aspect, which is um, the fact that, and, and I think this happens in the majority of relationships, if we're being honest, um, that it is a common human trait to try to squash the thing that is bothering you and deal with it on your own or whatever until it just bubbles up and explodes. Uh, and I do think that we see that with Riley. Um, and I and I agree with you. Um, I agree with this email is so thoroughly that um, what we would have seen if Buffy made it to the helicopter, I think would have been Buffy. Uh, Buffy trying to do these things. And like you said, you know, the great, a great chance that she absolutely would not have been able to meet those things, right? We talked about all of the reasons why we think that pro- probably Buffy couldn't give Riley what he needed. But, mm-hmm. um, but we'll never know. We'll never know. And and that's also the tragedy of like, um, I think, explaining away like, oh, Riley's gone because the relationship was boring. It's like, that is a really deep oversimplification of things because it did not need to be boring. There's a lot of, of exploration that could have been done there. Yeah, he could have taken that other boot off like real slow. <laughs> exactly. We only ever got to see one boot, okay? Uh, Wait a minute. 
Is she barefoot inside those boots? I'm just remembering. <laughs> I or think, is she wearing socks? <laughs> I think when we talked about it, because I feel like I have a memory of like considering the sock. Uh, the, also the also the, the the name of my forthcoming memoir, considering the sock. <laughs> But um, but I think we might have talked about the fact that like he's so smooth that when he took off the boot, he like also invisibly came off with it. Right, like he like caught the sock on its way down. You know, like yeah, just real. I mean, as we know, Riley is a super smooth dude. Also, speaking of Riley, just in case you don't follow us on social media, here's a great reason why you should. Uh, Mark Blucas shared an image probably like two, three weeks ago at this point of the fact that he on his farm uh, during self-isolation decided to adopt baby goats and posted like a picture of him holding a baby goat. It was really all too much to possibly. These images will get you pregnant. <laughs> Be warned. If you choose to look upon them. Yeah. So anyway, um, Elizabeth, well, thank you. He, yeah. Yeah. All hail Elizabeth. I particularly like this this uh, point that um, Elizabeth makes about uh, the trope in mm-hmm. media of portrayal of people in relationships like not needing to talk. And if you're truly meant for each other, you should be able to telepathically know what the other person needs. I think that's like so smart. And like we see way, 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 way too much of that. Oh my God. I wonder, I wonder what our conversations about uh, the relationship of Buffy and Riley would have been like mm. if there wasn't a 20-year discourse uh preceding this podcast about how much everyone hates yeah. Riley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really solid. Uh, another thing we didn't think about when we were talking through it the first time, but um, yeah. And I like, I mean, I think, and uh, Jenny, it sounds like you probably agree with me, but I think like the downfall of so many relationships hinges on this ridiculous idea of meant to be right. That like, like if, if, what we saw more so in media, and I do think that we see it somewhat now, um, or at least a little bit more than we used to. But I think if mm-hmm. what we saw in media was was like Buffy catching up to Riley and saying, like, I hear what you're saying. I want to work on this. And then like then it not working out later. And like, you know, not as much of these like fantastical. I mean, listen, we all we all want a fantastical love story. Like, I'm not saying to take those away. I, but I'm just saying that I think a lot of the world takes that at face value and as the only possibility uh and so therefore does not realize until they're in the thick of things how much work it is to be in a relationship an ongoing relationship so um, yes 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 listen relationships are work and yada 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 but i have to stop you because i accidentally <laughs> just caught sight of a sentence fragment from the next email the wow. sentence fragment is I love when that people you have fragments. a piece of their skull removed yeah. comma yeah. so we have to go we i need to go yes, I need to get please please take email. us take us to charlotte okay It's from Charlotte, and Charlotte says, I am not a neurosurgeon, but I am a doctor on a rehab floor that takes care of patients with brain injuries, both traumatic and non-traumatic, which also includes folks who have brain surgery for things like cancer. When people have a piece of their skull removed... Ideally, it's wait. Let me let me stop you. Let me stop you. I just want to let everyone know, in case you you haven't listened religiously to every episode we've ever done, we asked about Joyce's surgery and like what happens when they remove a piece of somebody's skull. So that's why Charlotte's writing in. Go ahead, continue. Continue. Okay. When people have a piece of their skull removed, ideally, it's replaced with the original bone. For folks who have what's called a 
craniotomy, removal of a small piece of skull, which can be done to access an area of interest. An area of interest, <laughs> like for removal of a tumor. The same piece of bone is replaced during that surgery. What's interesting <laughs> is that sometimes people have to have a piece of their skull removed to relieve pressure in the brain. That's a craniectomy. Oh, my God. And in this case, the piece of bone is left off for a period of time. Things like trauma or bleeding in the brain can cause a lot of swelling. And swelling in the brain is really bad biscuits. Oh, my God. I love this email. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take much swelling in a closed skull for the brain to start to get, for lack of a better word, real squished. So the surgeons will go in and remove a generally fairly large piece of bone and will leave it off, often for weeks or months. <laughs> to allow for any swelling to resolve. <laughs> Ideally, the surgeons will eventually go back in and replace the original autologist from the shelf. Bone flap. From the self. Autologist oh, from, the from the self. self. Yeah. Not the shelf. <laughs> not, the, not the bone not the from bone the shelf. Flap, right. shelf. <laughs> uh, bone flap in a procedure called a cranioplasty. Wow, I love this. Mm -hmm. uh, there are alternatives. Metals, ceramics, or synthetic material, but autologists autologous bone, autologous bone, autologous bone, <laughs> flaps, sorry, are the ideal and have the best outcomes. You'd opt for a different option if the bone flap itself is contaminated, infected, or got destroyed in trauma, etc. While waiting to get put back into place, the bone flaps hang out in a fridge somewhere. <laughs> Again, often for weeks or months, while folks are missing that piece of bone, they can do much of their usual activity, but we custom fit them with helmets to protect their brain, which during this time is pretty much just covered with skin. Okay, I have to, I have something for this. <laughs> First of all, this email fucking rocks. This is an, this is a hell of a mailbag you've curated, Thank Kristen. You. Thank you this so much. rocks. <laughs> okay, so uh, synchronistically, mm -hmm. I was just having a conversation with my mom where I was like making her walk me through my grandfather's history uh, of well, I thought we were just going to talk about the history of my grandfather working in coal mine, mm -hmm. uh, coal mining operations, but we ended up talking about his time in the war and, you know, uh, his transition from working at, in a subterranean coal mine operation to going to World War II and then coming home uh, injured and starting to work at a strip mine operation and then, like, freaking... He was working double shifts at his strip mining operation, and then he would, in his spare time, when he wasn't working double shifts, he would uh, chip away at building his house, the house that my mom grew up in wow. from scratch. My grandmother designed it oh and my drew God. the blueprints. What? They met because she was working in a parachute factory as a parachute <gasps> inspector. What? And she worked with my grandfather's sister. And like when he came home from the war injured, uh, her his sister was like, oh, you have to meet my brother. You're going to love him. And then they got together. And then they moved into this house that he built from scratch that she designed. Oh, my God. And then they like uh, bought the adjacent 32 acres mm -hmm. from my grandmother's father for one dollar and <laughs> began cultivating uh orchards uh apples mm -hmm. peaches cherries pears and then they like ran a family orchard for the rest of their lives okay that's not the point the point is that while my grandfather was in world war ii uh he was an army ranger and sharpshooter and he ended up coming home because he took a, a piece of shrapnel to the back of the head Whoa. and he was in, in, in a coma 
or unconscious, Mm -hmm. either for two weeks or two months. My mom was a little unclear on Mm -hmm. the (laughs) important details. And and he had this hole in his skull, Mm -hmm. right? So he was in a MASH hospital, and during surgery that was intended to remove the shrapnel from his head, a surgical needle broke off inside (gasps) of his head. Oh, and the doctor was so freaked out. Yeah. (laughs) That he was like, hey, I'm not going to fuck around in here anymore. You're just going to live the rest of your life with shrapnel and a needle fragment floating around inside your skull. Wow. And I don't think they ever patched that the skull situation. I think he just like had a hole. He was just real careful with his shrapnel. Now, uh, is this all accurate? I don't know. It came from my mom, <laughs> and it's probably like 80 to 95% accurate. Wow. The, the two weeks or two months thing raises a lot of question marks for me personally, but... Well, she was probably so little. How does she know? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, that's crazy. I'm not blaming my mom. Right. I'm like amazed at the <laughs> amount of information she has retained. Right. And uh, I just come from a long short line of people with uh, holes in their skulls. Wow. 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 Needle breaking off in brain, not a thing I wanted to be a part of my day. But the rest of the story I was really into. But it was fine. Um, Do you know that? Rich life. (laughs) Do you know that my grandfather also built the house um, that my mom grew up in? Uh, I did know that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. A lot of grandfathers Mm -hmm. building houses. I do not think that my... Yeah, people used to do some real shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that my grandmother designed it, though. I don't know who designed it, actually. Now I'm going to have to find out. Okay. Um, wow. Well, I knew that you would enjoy the bone flap email, Jenny. And and just for the record, we got a lot of bone flap emails. And uh, nice. another Love one, that sentence. I don't know if you remember, Jenny, but I forwarded you another one because somebody wrote into us who had had brain surgery with including pictures of their um, sort of like that they had only shaved one inch. Um, so that actually might be true that they didn't, you know, shave more of Joyce's head when they did the surgery. Uh, and also let us know that the thing that they used to, to put the bone back into place uh, in their surgery is the same thing that we call nail glue. (laughs) So yeah, I don't remember the name of the chemical. But anyway, thank you to all of you who wrote in to us about your own brain surgeries or brain surgeries that you've performed. Um, The amount of experts that we have is is far and wide. And later on, uh, we're going to get to an email from somebody who is an expert on something that makes me laugh forever. So we'll get there soon. But first, an email from Magnus. Uh, Magnus, again, digging back deep into the history of buffering the Vampire Slayer, writing about season one, episode 10, Nightmares. Magnus says, I just wanted to say that the writers missed a huge opportunity when writing Cordelia's Nightmares. I don't buy that Cordelia is afraid to join the chess club. The nightmare should have been that Cordelia opens up to some friends and tells them about people who hurt her and or about the anxiety and fear of not being accepted as she is or something like that, which then causes all of her friends to start laughing at her and then they just leave her so she's left all alone that would display and establish the depth the cordelia character radiates and deserves cue the cordelia jingle Wow, what a great, what a great point. I think the only thing standing in the way of this being the reality of the episode is that it 
maybe feels just a little too early for us to be like really right but digging in although don't you think though okay so i have the benefit of having read this email um earlier and so i've I've thought about it a little bit but i i just was thinking about it and i'm like you know joining the being afraid to join the chess club is essentially the same thing as her opening up to her friends and like them leaving her when she shows her true self i mean it's it's not exactly the same thing but it's like she's afraid to join the chess club because she's afraid that people will think she's less than the very perfect cool girl that she's showing that she is and in in cordelia's mind that means you know chess club right and it's not apples to apples but i do think it's the same set of insecurities you're only afraid to join the chess club to the point where it is your biggest nightmare if you have serious fear about people finding out that there's more to you than just the surface that you're presenting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you think that Cordelia is good at chess? You know, kind of, actually. Do you think it's a secret? Yeah, right? She's She seems like strategy could be kind of her. I mean, it, it's like that's her total, That yes, right? Cordelia is all about strategy. She's, <laughs> and Cordelia is like that, the like, you know, classic character of like, you think she, she's like the L L Woods, if you will, you know, or at least develops into that character who is underestimated because of the way she looks, but actually is really brilliant, super capable, um, et cetera. So Wait, uh, who's L Woods? It was L Woods. The name, isn't that the name of Reese Witherspoon's character in Legally Blonde? I've never seen <gasps> Legally Blonde. Oh my So God. I don't know. I just gasped so deeply that my body like caved in in the middle. What in the hell are you doing? Maybe we'll do um, a special episode of Feels Like the First Time, Jenny, with you so you can watch Legally Blonde. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. Great. Okay. Anyway, moving along to... Oh, here's the... Oh, great. We're at the email that I was uh, just referencing where we have a very special expert on our hands. Uh, Jenny, you get this one. Okay. I'm excited. Here we go. It's from Ashley who says, hello, Kristen and Jenny. I've been listening to Buffering for a long time, and I love that you can count on your listeners who are doctors or scientists to help out with pretty much any question you have about supernatural physiology. (laughs) It's true. It is. I am not a doctor or a scientist. However, I am a visual merchandiser, which pretty much makes me a mannequin doctor. And after listening to Triangle, I just wanted to confirm for you that, yes, many (laughs) mannequins do, in fact, have nipples. Thank God you're here, Ashley. Some of the mannequins I work with have such ridiculous nipples that we had to sand them down because of customer complaints. Oh my God. One time I accidentally dropped one of them off a riser and when I picked her up, I realized her pointy nipples had busted holes right through her silk shirt. It's a real thing, which is great for a spike. Whew. Thank goodness I could confirm this scientific fact for you. My imaginary doctorate in mannequin anatomy has finally been put to good use. Ow. <laughs> Ashley, like truly just the, the the breadth of expertise that our listenership has is unparalleled. Unparalleled. Truly incredible. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is going, um, we're pivoting to a, a question about us. Um, we don't do those often. And uh, Lauren from Australia wrote in, um, I have a question. Buffering is so well structured from the start. Thank you, ah. Lauren. Uh, Heavens. 
How much, if any, experience did you have recording podcasts before buffering? And did you already have microphones and the equipment that you would have needed to start? Uh, So, I mean, it's been a minute, but we definitely had all the equipment we needed uh, because Jenny, as you may know, is a musician. Um, And I think, well, Jenny, you you do some answering and then I'll tell you what I think about. Sure, 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 sure. Um, We had not recorded or like I hadn't done any podcast recording really to speak of. Um, but I did have, I think one SM seven B for, for music stuff. That's a, a type of microphone that sure makes that we use. Um, and the reason that, that, uh, I like, uh, this microphone for podcast recording is it has a very close range of pickups. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get a, a ton of reflection from the room um and extraneous noises it really cuts down a lot of the the excess noise uh which is great for a little talky podcast so we had one of those kicking around and i already had an interface and i already was using pro tools for music stuff that's a a, uh audio program or or recording program uh that is digital uh digital audio workstation i guess is what daw stands for pro tools is a daw just like logic is a daw um and we just got another SM7, and uh, that's kind of like it on the gear end. And then I had the great and terrible idea that there should be a song <laughs> for every episode and that it should go at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we workshopped before we started taping, like we came up with segments. I remember there was like a WWW What is Willow Wearing? Oh, yeah. A segment that did not take off, mm-hmm. but but instead we have Buffy Fashion Watch, which is right. uh, sort of like a uh, greatly evolved version of <laughs> WWW. <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah, and then I, I think a lot of the segments that we do have just kind of naturally evolved from like making the podcast. Yeah, Sorry, which I think is... No, I mean, and I think that's like part of the the power is I, I find that when you try to think of things in advance and then like make them work, uh, they're often weaker than when you just sort of like go with it and find, oh, that's actually really funny. Or, you know, you have Kate Leth guest on an episode and Kate's like, can I do a segment for you? And you're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can forever. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, Jenny um, had roots in um, music and I had um, some of my roots, although like LGBTQ oriented, were in video and editing. Uh, and I, I also think that both of us are perfectionists at heart, which works really well. Um, I think when you're like, when there's two perfectionists working together, it's, it's, I think better than only one perfectionist because we both understand. Um, we recorded the whole, um, first episode of the podcast and got to the end and decided to do it all over again because we didn't think it was good enough. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people would do that. Uh, and that's just like part of who we are and have always been. And I also think that like having both edited a variety of media, you know, Jenny, you you work on producing music. Mia, I had worked on editing video. Um, we're also, we came into it with the mind of like, we wanted it to be polished and we wanted it to move forward. I also think that like I have the shortest attention span ever. So um, I, from the start was like, no, no yammering about like I... <laughs> I just really wanted to keep us on a course where somebody like myself could listen and also be engaged because I struggle with some of the podcasts out there that like are chatty. I know people love them, but you know, so I don't know. I think that all came together in a really great way. And 
you know, we would definitely not be here if it were not for the community that listens to us and tells us, you know, what they want, what they need and, you know, shows us when they love something and shows us when they don't. And we listen to that too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Next up, we've got an email from Corey who says, hey, mom and dad. Nice. Uh, so I work in the back office for a bank opening accounts for people who have way more money than I'll ever see. Today, I received an account to open and this guy's birthday was, I shit you not, four twenty sixty nine. Oh, my God. I just needed to share this information with someone and I knew Jenny would get a huge kick out of it. Corey, you thought correctly. You, This is the greatest gift I could possibly receive uh, April, on this beautiful day. April 20th, 1969. I mean, good what job. What a treasure. Great job, yeah. Uh, We're 2069. In case any of you think that uh, Jenny should read the emails in advance, I, I think oh, it has been proven fully that she should not because there's no better joy than like watching you read an email. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Jenny, um, I want to like, you know, as as aforementioned, keep us on the uh, path forward here. So originally, I thought I might have you watch this live, but I'm not going to have you watch it live, though I am going to have you watch it uh, later. I'm going to read this email first so you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so Famke writes in, Hey, Kristen and Jenny, I've been listening to your podcast. Sorry, I'm already thinking about the video that I watched. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and I absolutely love it. It brings me so much joy. I'm very excited to have Almost Caught Up, and I'm listening to Season 5, Episode 6, Family at the moment. Loved the pornography bit and thought you might enjoy (laughs) this video excerpt from the best (laughs) worst movie ever, Troll 2. (laughs) <laughs> it's called <laughs> for you to find it i think all you need to do uh you listener at home is um google troll <laughs> to corn slash popcorn uh wow. fam key continues the the corn slash popcorn scene is one of the weirdest most hilarious scenes and i was reminded of it while listening to your episode if you haven't seen the movie i can highly recommend it it's got a big cult following and there's a great documentary about the movie making and the director who to this day will not admit how bad the movie is <laughs> okay wow well, thank you, um, Famke, for writing in to let us know about this clip. I that will was some pornography. I will definitely be taking the full audio of your reaction and putting it over the video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so great. Whew, that was fun. Okay, let us move. Um, I took us from um, pornography to uh, an email about um, spike and threesomes. I figured it was a good trans transition out. So, uh, Jenny, why don't you take us there? <laughs> Okay, Lauren, I'm getting all the Australian emails today. Lauren from (laughs) Coffs Harbour with a U in Australia says, Kristen and Jenny, just a quick email to point out that I think Spike would indeed have a male-male-female threesome, although maybe he is not in the place with Harmony that he would, but in previous episodes, as we have seen the mouthwatering sexual tension between Angel and him, I refuse to believe that there was never a threesome with Angel, Spike, and Drusilla in season two and or the times when they would travel around as a, quote, family with Angel, Spike, Darla, and Drusilla. This is 100% accurate. A hundred. This is uncontestable absolutely okay so keeping along our spike path uh kennedy i'm actually uh, combining two emails here because i I feel like they're kind of asking and saying similar things so kennedy wrote in and said um spike is a beloved character in the buffy verse definitely one of my favorites and i wanted to know if you think that after the hundred or so years he's alive 
Do you think he still considers himself Spike or William on the inside? Do you think Spike was a way to distance himself from who he was or a way for him to distance himself from his actions? In Crush, especially in the would you want it to be moment, you see William come out. And it just had me thinking, do you think when he's around Buffy, he's closer to being William or is it just the Spike facade he kept up while dating Drusilla? So, Jenny, chew on that for a second, um, and then I'm going to read to you um, an email from Paige, which we asked you to write in about the Quasimodo comparison. Um, and so Paige wrote in, there are two things I thought about while you discussed the parallel they were trying to portray between Spike and Quasimodo. You mentioned how Quasimodo is imprisoned in the tower and cannot leave to do whatever he wants to do in his life. I have two theories. First, I think Spike having the chip in his head is imprisonment. The chip keeps him from doing what a vampire was born to do, or I guess I should say sired to do. Or two, Spike being a vampire is his prison because this keeps him from Buffy being able to love him. I don't know if this is at all accurate, but this is what I thought about when I heard you both discuss this particular scene. So do you see how these two are related, right? It's like, is Spike... Is Spike the monster and, uh, like, is his true self the monster or is his true self William? Is he imprisoned because he's a vampire and so he can't access William? Or is he imprisoned, using Paige's words and the Quasimodo parallel, um, is he imprisoned because he is a vampire and the chip is keeping him from being himself? Oh, my God. Mm, Deep, right? Yeah, yeah, it is deep. I mean, much has been made previously in our conversations about, you know, how the show treats, how various characters on the show treat Angel versus Angelus and like when he has a soul and when he doesn't have a soul. And is that the same entity or is it two entities occupying the same body? And it just depends who's driving. And Mm -hmm. then like the body is held responsible for the actions of both. Right. Um, Or should it be? Is that appropriate? Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of about how I'm I my man. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, that that's kind of the eternal question. That is what this show grapples with from all of the vantage points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even, even with Buffy and Faith, like that whole dynamic was like, are you the darkness inside of you or are you more than the darkness inside of you? You know, like, and, and those are characters, yeah. those are, you know, slayers are, you know, for all intents and purposes, put here to like protect you from evil. So we have um, characters on both sides of the line and characters who go from one side of the line to the other where we're constantly questioning, um, you know, are they, inherently bad or are they inherently good but when you like I mean that is the question like that's the question we have about humanity like that is the eternal question are bad people like really bad we had so many discussions back with Angel and his soul and losing his soul about like restorative justice and you know how do we view things um, like this how do we view people who have done bad things Um, what is the damage in viewing them as bad people or should we view them as bad people where is that line and how do you draw it and it's not it's not possible i mean that's my opinion but i don't don't think it's possible to say um where that line is clearly um which is why this show fucking rules so much is because it makes us wrestle with those questions so much every season in a different way you know uh every season in many ways so yeah yeah um 
Thank you, Kennedy yeah. and Paige. Um, every once in a while, I like read an email from one of you that makes me feel like I felt when I was in grad school, like in the, the good side of grad school, because I also felt like very yeah. overwhelmed in parts of grad school. But um, my favorite parts of grad school were where were when I like was in class talking to the other people in my class. And I just was like, I could feel my brain expanding and um, and reading these emails like back to back. I just could feel that like those gears turning of like, yeah, like what is at the bottom of this? Nothing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Jenny, we're almost at the end of the journey. We just have a couple of emails left and then a very, oh very special something from our, uh, our listeners. You'll see. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. But, All right. All right. Okay. So we've got this note from Ariel that says, hey, ladies, in case you're wondering about the value of half a baby. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm so glad one of these made it in. Uh, I think the important part is that both women were mothers, but one mother's baby had died. She took the other baby and claimed it was hers. So one can assume that as a mother whose child had just died, she was in a pretty dark psychological place. It's possible that it was more important to her to see someone else share her pain than protect the surviving child. Oh, God. Right? That's not the fun biblical romp I recall. I <laughs> But it does I mean, make a lot more sense I, I than know, what I'm, I remembered. I'm so sorry. It was very hard to witness you go on the same journey I went on where I was like, oh, goody. Oh, God. Um, but but I, I thought it was like, really, like we're just told this story of Solomon's baby. And like I just feel like my memory of the story is what your memory was. Like, what the hell is this other lady? Why does she want half a baby? Like, it, I didn't even remember. Um, and, I ha and I want to believe that part of that is because of the way that it's told, that I'm going to imagine that the psychological pain of that other mother is not really portrayed very deeply in the story. Right. Um, which is so fucked up. So I thought, well, we better tell everybody again um, so that they realize that this story is not as simple and silly as we thought it's actually really deep and dark mm. um i guess mm. like so many of these things from our like childhood that we returned to and we're like whoa <gasps> yeah yikes um this is a this is a, a a call an email but a call to listeners that i i found very powerful and i think is really important right now with where we are um it the email comes in from lee who says dear jenny and Kristen, long time listener first time caller from the uk i hope you're both well and keeping safe i'm writing in hopes that during our current coronavirus situation you can help out someone i love my nine-year-old niece chloe has a rare blood disorder called diamond black fan anemia which means her bone marrow does not produce new red blood cells as a result, she's highly dependent on blood transfusions as a, mean of, as a means of survival. She has them every three to four weeks. She's had over 100 transfusions in her short nine years on this planet, two oh. before she was even born, which made my head explode. Oh my Isn't that insane? Um, yeah. I know what you're thinking, and yes, it's possible she is a vampire. <laughs> 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 to complicate things more, she has a very specific taste and requires a rare blood type that on a good day is low in stock. Naturally, because of COVID-19, blood donation is low as people stay home, which is very important and very smart. However, blood donation is one of the very valid reasons for someone to leave their home and help during this crisis. I was hoping that in one of your near future episodes of the podcast, you would take a moment to encourage your listeners who are healthy enough and eligible to go out and donate blood and to only do so if they are both of these things. One donation can save up to three lives. Chloe is not the only one suffering because of shortages, and I think it is a very noble and valiant option to help right now that isn't really being talked about. So 
Mm, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't even know that I need to say more. Obviously, uh, Jenny and I are intimately aware with the super fucked up um, medical policies that have followed us from um, the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, where um, they just changed it, but it's still very problematic. Uh, it used to be that if you had, had uh, if you were a man who had sex with another man within the last 12 months, you could not donate blood. Now uh, they've reduced that to three months, which like, thanks, but that's not really, that's not really the answer. So obviously, um, that's been a conversation, an ongoing conversation, and one that we continue, I at least continue to investigate. But if you are somebody that is um, able to donate and um, also, you know, healthy enough to be able to go outside and, and do this, it is really important. And I agree, I don't think it's being talked about enough. So thank you, Lee, for writing in. Um, and hi, Chloe. Hi, Chloe. <laughs> okay, well... Uh, Jenny, we've made it to the end of the podcast and we have something, um, incredibly special. So if you've been with us for a long time, you know that earlier in the series, we were commissioned to travel up to Santa Barbara by the then mayor of Santa Barbara, uh, Helene Schneider. And, ah, uh, yes. Yes. And, uh, Mayor Helene, uh, has a group of very good friends up there. They get together and watch Buffy together. And when buffering started, they began adding us into their, uh, hangs and listening to buffering together. They're a delight. And they commissioned us to come up to Santa Barbara. It was when we both lived in California. We drove up and they took us on a tour of Santa Barbara. You can listen to the episode, um, pop on back there in our archives and find it uh, to prove once and for all that Santa Barbara was Sunnydale. And they proved it. And I made the mistake of reading a sign at the train station in Crush last episode we had. And I called their theories into question. Um, and Jenny, they were they were not happy. So um, perhaps I can play. <laughs> perhaps I can play. I'm going to play um, a little bit of a voicemail they left for us and also um, something that they did in response um, to answer our uh, query. This is Darcel Elliott reporting live from Santa Barbara. I'm the one that gave you the binders full of evidence proving conclusively that Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. And I'm just calling to say, how dare you? And this is former Santa Barbara Mayor Helene Schneider to just really emphasize that while I might not be in office anymore, I can assure you that Sunnydale is Santa Barbara. And we may feel far away from each other, but we know for sure that this is right. This is Professor Tanya Israel from UC Sunny, I mean UC Santa Barbara. Our research team has thoroughly investigated the Sunnydale is Santa Barbara question, and we'd like to articulate our conclusion. Hit it, Heather. Dear City Council, we'd like to lodge a gripe. The train station sign information is so clearly not right. Since Mayor Wilkins died, our leadership's been lax. Sure, he was evil, but his signs were right, and he paved the street cracks. Oh, we all know Santa Barbara, Sunnydale. The sign says San Francisco, 682 miles away. But there's no SoCal City that distance from the city by the bay. Season 4 says Oxnard's pretty close to Sunny D. So SF being that far away is really not a possibility. Oh, we all know Santa Barbara, Sunnydale. 
signs right and we don't think it could be living on a hell mouth can mess with true reality like when on an amtrak trip time tends to expand anywhere you go feels like twice as far as you had planned oh we all know santa barbara sunny we're pretty sure we already showed you Santa Barbara Sunnydale. Oh, we all know Santa Barbara Sunnydale. And the sign's just wrong. How foolish of us, how, I, excuse me, how foolish of Kristen excuse me. to ever wow. call into question. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were going to leave you with that beautiful song. Uh, that was Heather Stevenson, uh, one of the wonderful gang of women who's up there in Santa Barbara. Uh, and to redact, uh, no, redact, re, re, what do you, when you go back on something, when you take something out, is it, re, re, what are you taking? What is that called? Redacted. It is retracted. Retracted. Uh, retracted. Retracted. We're going to retract. I am going to personally retract my statement um, and say I-, I am willing to say here today, once and for all, regardless of anything I will see for seasons forward, Sunnydale is Santa Barbara, and anything we see to the contrary is simply bullshit a mistake Mm -hmm. and a lie on Sunnydale's part. You're right. The management of Sunnydale's signage system is probably completely in chaos after the mayor left. I mean, you know, definitely totally. So, um, thank you for putting, sorry for what she said. (laughs) I am. I'm deeply sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm like, I'm like 98% sorry, but then like, 2% 2% super thrilled because we would have never gotten this song had it not been for mm-hmm. me being a monster and uh, trying to put a put a dent in your theory over there. So thank yes. you. Thank you all of you um, <laughs> for putting us in it, for putting me <clears throat> in my place. <laughs> Uh, well, it's been a, a, a wonderful time journeying through these emails. I, I've had a great time. How about you, Jenny? A blast, a total blast, total blast. And um, when we do mailbags in the Patreon feed, we uh, do not howl out. But I think because this is in the main feed, we should probably howl. <gasps> Hell yeah! Okay, is Frank with you still? Uh, he is not. <sighs> he is sleeping not on my lap anymore. Okay, Frank, uh, Jenny's new dog. In case you missed it, uh, needs to really get on the ball here and start learning these woos. Yeah. But we'll do. We'll do this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Till. Till next time. Uh, Uh, 